Listening to CITR FO 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there from 1967, Brute Force with In Jim's Garage. Today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, in honor of Genesis P. Orridge, an interview with Genesis. P. Orange. Yes, Genesis passed away, so I thought I would replay this interview that I did with Edley and Genesis on the occasion of Psychic TV coming to Vancouver. And this interview is from October the 7th, 2016, when Genesis was here in Vancouver playing at the venue with Psychic TV along with Italy, who was in the band. So right now, here is an interview with Psychic TV throbbing gristle legend, Genesis P. Orge, dedicated to Genesis, who passed away just a few days ago. Who are you? Yes, hello. Yes, hello. 
You are Genesis? Uh, that's true. You want to know who we are? Yeah, Genesis Bri Piorage of Psychic TV and many other projects. And Jen, who do you have beside you? Um, good question, really. <laughs> it's Edley O'Dowd. That's Edley O'Dowd. That's me. Welcome to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Thank you. Right off the bat, Genesis, I have a gift for you. Brian, come back. You are forgiven. Bastard. Don't call me a bastard. No, that's what that seven inch is. Is that right? Yes, Brian Jones, your idol. I would never call him a bastard because he was legitimate. Uh, you actually met him because your dad cleaned ABC Studios? That's, that's true, yes. I uh, also met his two bastards, Julian and Julian. Julian to Pat Andrews and Julian to Linda, who married Donovan. I've met both of those sons, and they were bastards. And, as well, <laughs> you have his jacket, too. Oh, you do talk weird, don't you? Is that, is that part of the, the shtick? Well, you have his jacket. Shouting at people. What's <laughs> um, Genesis? I mean... What is it? Aardvark? Nardwar. Nardwar. Nardwar, the human serviette. Yeah, okay. Um, actually, we were just reading something today online about Brian Jones. There's a new book just come out, and... We've had this theory for a while. You, you're aware that Brian Jones, John Lennon, and Jimi Hendrix were about to form a group together. And they made several demo tapes at Olympic Studios, of which we have some, some copies. And we always knew that Brian Jones was murdered. We figured that out a long, long time ago. And it was, it was too suspicious. He was found in the pool, supposedly drowned through using drugs and not and having an asthma attack, but that's just not the case. We, we met the people who did the autopsy, and they said there wasn't water in his lungs, so he didn't drown. Um, why did the people at the house phone the Rolling Stones publicist before they called an ambulance or the police and waited for him to drive from London to this village and go through the house, and what did he do when he went through the house? He got every single tape recording he could find and all the stage costumes, and burned them in a bonfire. Then they called the police. And then you got your recordings? How did you get the Brian Jones recordings? The same way we got the jacket and se several other things, people would come to concerts when we did the song Godstar back in 85, and they would say, for example, the person with the jacket said, I used to be a, a roadie for the Rolling Stones and in the 60s, and when they moved into just wearing casual clothing and not trying to be like the Beatles, because at the beginning, Andrew Oldham had them wearing grey herringbone jackets. Um, he gave his jacket to this roadie who gave it to me 30 years later or something like that. But the interesting thing is, Jimi Hendrix is now thought to have been assassinated. John Lennon was assassinated. And Brian Jones was murdered. It makes you wonder why all three of the people who are going to form the most amazing supergroup in the world, who were all rebels, died within a year of each other. And um, this new book says that they got all this new information from uh, papers that have been released by the CIA, etc., that tend to agree that that was actually a deliberate plan to wipe them out. And we have a gift here for Edley, a Kenneth Anger LP. Wow. 
Thank you very much. Oh, what can you say about Kenneth Anger and your association with him? You love his movies. Yes, yes. One of the great filmmakers of the 20th century. Derek Jarman, Kenneth Anger, those are the two really important ones. And Fellini. Pleasure Dome. You love the movie Pleasure Dome. Uh, we like all of them. We like Puce Moment, too. Um, but the thing that's interesting, we nearly played with Kenneth in Berlin. It was going to be Russia. Was it Russia? Yeah, and then he's doing some sort of musical... That's it. This is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Brian I didn't... was on a theremin, I believe, and then yeah. Kenneth does something as well. Yeah, for some reason he was unable to make it to Russia this year to perform with us. So that is for you, Ellie, to relive your Russia experience. Thank you very much. Before it happens. This is time travel. You're aware of that. I am indeed, Genesis, and I was really confused by this. What is going on here exactly? Force it. UFO. That's, a, that's the name of a, an, a, a sort of early heavy metal type band, UFO. And a picture is myself and Cozy Fanny Tutti. And as it's called Force It, which in United States in language means bathroom, not a toilet, a bathroom, hence the set. They thought it would be funny if we were forcing it in some kind of sexual innuendo. And they wanted ambiguous uh, people. They wanted it to look like it could be two women, it could be whatever. Ambiguous gender. Even then, way, way back, 76. So how did you hook up with UFO in 75? And this is the German issue. Is it? Oh, right. Well, uh, Sleazy, Peter Christofferson, who was in TG, Throbbing Gristle, also was a partner in Hypnosis, and they were commissioned to do this cover. And he said he didn't know many people who didn't mind getting naked on camera, but he knew we wouldn't mind. So he said, do you want to get paid to get naked in a bathroom? And we said, yes. And that's how it happened. Tell him how cold it was. Oh, it was fucking freezing. It was so cold. It was in the winter in London in a house that was derelict, and they built this set in the house. There was no heat, no hot water, so it was cold water they were spraying over us. It doesn't even show in the picture. It was miserable. What a long day. And Genesis Sleazy took promo pics of the Sex Pistols that Marco McLaren called shocking, too shocking? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He took photos of the Sex Pistols, and it was too shocking. Ardvark. Nardwar, the human survey et. Et tu, Brutus. That was Sleazy, also involved with his album shoot. Well, he did a lot of... He did Venus and Mars for Paul McCartney. Did all the Peter Gabriel albums. Oh, God, he Led Zeppelin, everyone. But too shocking for Malcolm McLaren. Well, is there any evidence that Malcolm McLaren was a radical thinker or had any great shocking style to him? No. He was an exploiter of other people's talents. And that's another way of working, but it wasn't him himself. He was actually quite middle class. Acme Attractions got you into punk? Acme Attractions? Mm -mm. We've never been into punk. It's too traditional. Well, that exposed you to punk, Acme Attractions. No, it didn't. No, sorry. You're wrong. Myself and Sleazy were commissioned to redesign Acme Attractions, and we called it Boy. And to this day, Boy, the brand, is still going. We got paid £60 pounds to design the shop, come up with the, lo the logo and the name and the brand and everything. But my, the person who exposed me to punk was Sue Catwoman. 
She was your girlfriend, right? Yeah, for three years officially and a couple more after that. And uh, an amazing woman. She knew everybody. She knew everybody, and she'd take me around to all the pubs, and we'd see the damned, and we saw the jam when they'd not made any records, all of them before that, Eater, everyone. It was a pretty interesting time. Did you audition Billy Idol? <laughs> yes. Yes, you, yes, we did. Oh, it's a, what a terrible thing we've done. Genesis is responsible for Billy Idol? Yes. At that time, my friend at university was trying to have a band. The guy who had Acme Attractions, that we changed it to boy, John Cravine, he wanted to have a band to rival the Sex Pistols. He goes, Malcolm has the Sex Pistols, so I want a band for my shop, and I'm going to call it Chelsea. Could you audition people to be in my band? So that's what we did. We went down to a warehouse where he stored old jukeboxes, and various young guys came up playing, and one of them got up and said, I'm Bill Broad, and I want to pay, play rhythm guitar. And we turned to John and said, he's a natural, pick him. And so we picked out the band, which then became Generation X. And in their first official biography, they credit me with having pulled them together. Genesis, you liked the nipple erectors more than crass? Yes, yes, this is true. Well, wouldn't you? I mean, crass means boring and stupid, and nipple erectors means exciting and sensual. And you, Edley, ran into Jen through Lady J going, Edley, Edley, in 93 in hate? That's true. That's very true. That was the first time we ever met was in 93, it might have been 94, Right around there, on the hate. Lady J, who I've, I had known since I was a teen, like an early teenager, had called me up one night and said, I'm leaving town. The person I want to spend the rest of my life with has been in a terrible accident. I'm going out west, and I don't know when I'm coming back. So I didn't hear from her for a couple of years. And I visited San Francisco, was on the hate, and who do I see walking down the street, a vision all in yellow, Lady J. Yellow head to toe, toting Genesis Briar Piorich. <laughs> yeah. And she goes, Edgar, that's Edgar. <laughs> that was my nickname before Edley, was Edgar. And Edgar, Edley, helped put on a gig in a swimming tank with women dressed up as mermaids and psychic TV were the music? That's correct. Yeah, that's incredible, really. 2003 in the middle of a great big snowstorm. Where was that? Tell me more about the gig. It sounds amazing. Well, so that was in New York City in December 2003. Um, I had put together a band for Jen to uh, come do one show as Psychic TV. And <clears throat> that was the biggest snowstorm the city had seen in ages. So after a month of rehearsing and getting it all together... Uh, it took us individually four hours each to drive from our respective homes. I don't know if you've been to New York, but that journey would be 35 minutes. So four hours. Well, with traffic, it would be four hours. You wouldn't, you wouldn't even have, there would never even be that much traffic that it would take four hours. So we all finally roll up to see the blizzard and a line around the corner. In about two feet of snow. It was literally two feet. And this was all from a guy you met on the street. Yeah, a street person in Haight-Ashbury, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, it was Edley's way of proving to me there was interest in the band in Psychic TV. And uh, we challenged him, as is my way. Like, prove it. I don't believe you. Yeah. 
nah. And so he put it together and we said, all right, we'll do one gig and see what happens. And we really didn't think there'd be anyone there because of the weather. So when we saw this line all the way around the block stood in all this snow, that's when we knew there was something important, right? Yep. Genesis, did you make a minefield? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you mean a real minefield that exploded? Yes, yes, we did, yeah. Way back in the 70s with Coombe Transmissions at the Bradford Arts Festival in a field. Nobody thought it was real. We got all this barbed wire, and we put a fence of barbed wire around it, but I'd made all these homemade bombs. Um, it was in the days when you could still buy the ingredients legally before all the IRA thing, and I'd found out how to mix fertilizer and sugar and things and make explosions. And so it said, danger, minefield, do not enter, etc. And of course, people just can't resist, and they think, oh, it can't be a minefield. Surely not. So people would climb in, and then they would trip these wires, and off would go these big, huge flashbangs around them. It was fun. Was your dad the first person to go 100 km, 100 miles per hour, on a motorbike? Not on a motorbike, but down Piccadilly in Manchester, yeah. He was a motorbike racer before the Second World War. And he, uh, <laughs> I've still got one of his badges from uh, Bellevue Speedway. He, uh, he joined the army, he lied about his age, he was only 17. But he told them he was 18 because he'd heard that the army were getting the, the, the newest, fastest BSA motorbike. And if he volunteered, he'd be able to choose what he did. So he wanted to be a dispatch rider with messages so he could ride the bike. So he went to France with the first lot of soldiers to ride his motorbike around France, trying to warn people when the Germans were coming. They gave him a revolver with six bullets, and they said, when you see the Germans, get to Dunkirk. Isn't that crazy? He made it just. But yeah, an interesting man. And then when he recovered from uh, nearly dying in Dunkirk, he volunteered again to be a dispatch rider on the motorbikes in Manchester when the Blitz was happening. And when all the bombs were coming down and the phones stopped working, he'd get on his bike and ride through the bombs with messages. Psychic TV, <laughs> quote, I'm looking for you. And I was really curious. You have that song, I'm looking for you. What can you say about Anton LaVey? There's a connection. He played on one of your records, Joy, Psychic TV. Well, he didn't play. He's on it. We sampled him. <laughs> but we did reproduce his uh, Satanic Mass. He gave me the old tapes, and we took it in a studio and cleaned it up so it could be re-released as a CD. And uh, he's an interesting man, fun, very funny. The Doctor, Dr. LeVay. He did play keyboards. Did you think about getting him to play keyboards? You ever heard him play fucking keyboards? Well, on this record, he does an okay job. It was, it was torment. That was what we all dreaded when we went to the Black House. It was like about 11 o'clock at night. He'd get a little bit tipsy and happy, and he'd suddenly say, let's go in the kitchen. He'd be like, oh, no, that's where his keyboards are. And about 20 cats. <laughs> and then he would sit down, and there'd be this stink of cat piss, and he would start playing bombastic music. He had this thing that the next music after industrial and punk would be bombastic. And he was ahead of the curve with his bombastic keyboards. I mean, it was sweet for about a half hour, but after four hours, it started to get really difficult to put up with it. 
Was he the head of the church of Satan at that point? Oh, at that point he was. Oh, yes. Genesis P. Orange, what can you say about T. Lobsing Rampa? Do you know anything about T. Lobsing Rampa? He wrote the book The Third Eye. He was a fake. That's it. That's all you need to know. He was a fake. Well, he died in Calgary. Well, so did Jesus. But that is a Canadian connection. <laughs> is there? I guess, yeah. You connected to Jesus. Look at you. What do you think about fakes? <laughs> fakes? Um, they have their place in life, don't they? I have another gift for you, Genesis. Uh, poetry in... Yeah, this is, this is a gift for you. A laser disc of Poetry in Motion featuring Burroughs and Cage. A laser disc. Is this one of... Um, oh, I know who did this. This was... Oh, what was her name? One of the... Uh, the well, Ron Mann did it. Ron Mann. Yeah, but she was... What was her name? Oh, shoot. That who, who wrote Steal This Book? That yippee book. Steal This Book. And threw money into, the, uh, into Wall Street. One of the yippee pranksters. The name escapes me right now. Anyway, that she helped set this up. I remember this. That is a laser disc for you, a poetry in motion, and it features William Burroughs, who you met through a Canadian magazine. Is that true? Through a Canadian magazine, you met William Burroughs? In a sort of meandering way, yes, in a meandering way. File. So anyway, we got this magazine, File, and in it was uh, something called the Image Bank Request List which was based in Vancouver. How about that? The Image Bank. The Canadian Connection. Yes, and the place was a sort of art center, an ad hoc independent art center called Western Front. And they also were friends with General Idea, who were another ad hoc group of artists in Toronto. And uh, General Idea did File magazine, which was a sort of pastiche of life. And then the Western Front did the Image Bank request list, where you wrote your name, your address, and anything you wanted people to send you that you needed for projects. And so, for example, Anna Banana, who is Canadian, wanted anything to do with bananas. What a surprise. And William Burroughs put camouflage for 1984. And we thought, hey, that's a really smart thing to put because it was in 72 or something. Seemed a long way off then, 84. But also, we thought, surely he hasn't put his real address. Why would he put his real address? But we thought, well, maybe, you never know. So we wrote to him, and he wrote back and said, whenever you're in London, come and see me. Get in a taxi, I'll pay for it. Thank you, the Western Front in Vancouver, for getting together. Burroughs and me. Me. Yeah, it's a funny way the world works, isn't it? And you, Genesis, what have you invented? Uh, the wheel. Baboom. Mm, pit Viper. I love Pit Vipers. You and Monty invented industrial music. Are you telling me that? You are, aren't you? It's true. September the 3rd, 1975. And also, you developed acid. Acid? No, we didn't. No, we didn't develop Acid House. We did release the first record. By mistake. 
<laughs> you took a whole, this is true, you took a whole bunch of acid in Chicago and then bought some white label discos in Chicago and then you invented acid house. No, it's not quite like that, my dear. <laughs> we are doing a two or three hour mix on a live radio college station in Chicago and suddenly these really cool looking black guys turned up and said, who's doing this stuff on the radio? It's fucking great. Where is it? What is it? Who are they? And then they found out it was us and they said, come with us. And so they drove us to this tiny shop somewhere in, in the, the ghetto and there was Derek Carter spinning discs in the window. It was tiny, about eight foot square. And he was playing white labels of what became known as Acid House. And we said, that's brilliant, that's fantastic. I'll buy one of everything. And we did. And uh, when we went back to England, we was, were driving around, we made a cassette of them. And we were driving around people like um, Dave Paul from Soft Cell and who else? Who's the guy who did the things for us? My mind's gone blank again. Um, anyway, all the, all the DJs, it'll come back to me at some point. And we said, this is, this is the solution to finding a contemporary form of trance music, which is what we'd been looking for, psychedelic dance music. And it took off. People got it. Enough people got the idea in England that they sort of, as always, bastardized it and sold it back to everyone. Like with the Beatles and the Stones, they stole rhythm and blues and sold it back to the United States, and we stole acid house <laughs> from Detroit and Chicago and sold it back. <laughs> the British are nasty that way. So you basically invented industrial music, you and Monty, and Acid House. Now, I was curious, Edley, what did you invent with the Toilet Boys? Oh, your turn now. <laughs> um, the New York Dolls Meet the Runaways. I was fascinated by the Toilet Boys. Miss Guy, did she, he, date Tracy Lords? No, that's not true. Sean Pierce, who's next to Miss Guy, we were all on our first trip to L.A., trying to make the scene there, and we went to a gay club where Sean, who's not gay at all, met Tracy Lords. And who's not gay at all. Who's not gay at all. And we proceeded to have kind of a party with her, but I do believe that Sean and Tracy went off and slept elsewhere that evening. What? do you know about the Toilet Boys? What do you know? What, what has Edley told you about the Toilet Boys, Genesis? Uh, nothing that's repeatable, sadly, no. <laughs> what have you told Genesis about the Toilet Boys? Genesis has actually seen the Toilet Boys yeah. more than once. I, uh, we threw sweets at you once, didn't we? <laughs> that was a good story. <laughs> they weren't sweets. <laughs> They were, um... Tampons? No, they were pharmaceutical. Pills. Yes. Well, they were pills. Yeah. What was this? Yeah, this was at, uh... <laughs> there was an opening of a hair salon at a sort of she-she shopping place in... Where is that? Chelsea? Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere. And um, they asked the Toilet Boys to perform a short set. Um, so... Genesis and Lady J came, stood in the front row, and they were pelting Miss Guy with pharmaceutical pills. 
<laughs> until she be, until she became visibly annoyed, <laughs> which was kind of hilarious. But <laughs> I don't even know why we did that. Something got us in the mood, but I don't know what it was. Guy said to me after the fact, you know, was Jen and Jackie like what? What was that about? <laughs> you also puked on Susie Sue. Not that we know of. Did you spit on John Peel? Yes, yes, we did do that. <laughs> he wrote about that. Yeah, the first time we met him, yeah. That was long before Punk too. That was 72, 71. John Peel came into Hull in Yorkshire where we were at the time. And we thought, how do we get him to talk to us without just saying, we like what you do? So we went up and said, we really like what you do. And we spat on him. And said, don't worry, that's the way we show our love. I didn't know that. Yeah. I did not know that story. So he nicknamed us Goz Rock. Because <laughs> Goz means spit in England. And the punks thought you were going to hang yourself at the prostitution show? The punks thought you were going to hang yourself? Actually, that was Bill Broad, sorry, Billy Idol's boyfriend, friend. The one who played bass in Sisters of Mercy later. What was his name? Tony James. Tony James, for some reason, got it in his head that Chris Carter was going to hang himself with barbed wire at the ICA. And he didn't. And he wasn't going to. But we thought it was a good story, so we just met... We, and it was, apparently they were terrified of us, so we just let it fly. Why not? I would like to ask you about another Canadian band from Vancouver, Skinny Puppy. What can you say about Skinny Puppy, Puppy Gristle? Oh, you've done your research. Well, we're friends with Ogre and Kevin, so that's the connection. We both met through a band called Pigface, which was touted as an industrial supergroup in the 80s. No, the 90s. 90s, gosh, so long ago. That's how we met Ogre, and we got on really well straight away. We both love dogs, and we're both quiet and shy and retiring. And so we were the two that were sitting and talking about philosophy in the band. While the rest of the band were taking drugs and having sex with groupies, we'd be just discussing philosophy and animal rights. We still do. From Vancouver, skinny puppy. So we're told. So we're told. A Canadian connection. Yeah. Well, you know, Canada's not all bad. I was curious, Genesis. Ian Curtis of Joy Division. Here we go. <laughs> he talked you out of suicide? Ian Curtis talked you out of suicide? No, no, no. No, and that's not true. I don't know where you got that one from. He was the, he, I was the last person he spoke to before he died. But he did have my song about trying to commit suicide memorized. And in that last phone call, he sang it to me word perfect. And we thought, he's going to try and kill himself. And so we, this is the day before cell phones, before most people even had answer machines in Britain. So we started ringing anyone we could think of in Manchester saying, you've got to get round to Ian's house. He's going to try and kill himself. And the ones we got through to went, yeah, he's just being dramatic. We went, no, we think he's really going to try and do it. No one would go and check, and that's why we're still angry at certain people. Well, things been going so far on this tour for Psychic TV? Well, we just do weekend jaunts, so they're short. Um, so it's nice to play a few shows and then go home. How is Genesis? Is he still kissing the fans? 
I don't call Genesis he. I call Genesis she as an S slash H-E, which is the preferred pronoun. Um, Genesis is not kissing fans, but hugging them. Did you kiss fans at one time? Yeah. I think the first time I saw you was on a Target video kissing fans. It was amazing. I'd never seen anybody do that mid-performance. Well, you lived in a very small world, didn't you? Well, I rented a video in Vancouver, B.C., and I took it home, and I saw Genesis. You're talking about when we kissed that skinhead boy. Yeah, it's a very special moment of video. He has a religious experience. It's quite remarkable. You know the bit. You don't know that bit? Oh, no, no. I mean, I saw it, but I didn't know that he has a religion. Like, well, he, he was very euphoric, right? Yeah. Yeah, we met him years, years later, actually, much to my surprise. And he had a religious experience. Wow. Did Sleazy's parents really know the Queen? Yes. They were good friends. Lord and Lady Derman Christofferson were such good friends of the Queen that they would go there for tea and dinner and hang out and chat over dinner and just like any other couple with friends. That always made me a little worried, a bit concerned. But it did confirm that she knew who we were and she did not like me. So you actually came up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did. They were sitting there and the Queen turned to Sleazy's mother and said, so, what's Peter doing these days? And she said, oh, he's working with this artist called Genesis Piorage. And the queen apparently sort of went backwards slightly and went, oh, oh dear, oh. And then she turned to the head of MI5 and said, we know all about this person, don't we? And then he told them, you should get your son away from this person, Genesis. He's a very bad influence. He's trouble. Get him away. But it just made Sleazy want to be nearer. Genesis, winding up, did Throbbing Gristle buy a lot from spy shops? Not a lot, but some. We had a moment. We got into surveillance and carried that over into Psychic TV, actually. PTV used it more at the very beginning than TG. The first gig we did in Manchester in 82... We had spy cameras all around. We built a scaffolding sort of stage and had spy cameras everywhere pointing at all the people who were playing. But we also had recordings of things that were not happening in real time, but we were cutting in. So you'd see Sleazy playing with his tape recorders and then suddenly you'd see somebody being fucked up the ass flash by and you would think, did I just see that? Did I see that? Is that happening? Where's that happening? And people would start looking around, different things, somebody making a cup of tea, just different things that weren't really there. And we were keep kept just feeding them in to these revolving sort of permutations of images that were going through the security cameras. Were your kids mad, Genesis, that you got breasts instead of them a car? <laughs> <laughs> Where does he get well, this stuff? That, that's, that's not even like... In, ever been in an interview? <laughs> it might, it might have, it might have. That was the, my younger daughter, Jeunesse. She's thirty-one, and we 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 thought we should ring them up and say, you know, Papa's got breasts because someone would be bound to tell them. And all she said was, "Are you serious?" And we thought, "Oh, she doesn't like this." 
You got breasts when you could have spent that money on getting me a new car? She was outraged that we wasted money when we could have given it to her. But she got over it within minutes. But otherwise, they weren't bothered at all. Didn't care. How much money would it take to look like you, Genesis? <laughs> 66 years of stress. <laughs> like, for instance, Edley. What would it take for Edley to look like you? Oh, about 300,000. Did you, Genesis, tell Zodiac Mind Warp to get a cock ring? Yes. <laughs> I told a lot of people to do that. <laughs> yeah, you've got good memory. Yeah, it, we, we were actually there when he decided to become Zodiac Mind Warp. Well, not there when it happened. He was apparently up a tree in, in Spain. I think it was on Ibiza on a load of acid when he suddenly realized he was going to become Zodiac Mind Warp. And then he came back eventually from Ibiza and came to see me and he said, guess what, Jen? I'm Zodiac Mind Warp now. I was, That's a great name, which it is. And lastly, Psychic TV, thanks for speaking to me, Nardwar, the human serviette. I was curious about Adam. Was Adam a hermaphrodite? What? Was Adam, oh, Adam um, and Eve, Adam? Uh, well, all human beings were originally hermaphrodites. That's obvious. And Eve was made from Adam, so Adam contained female. Therefore, they are but one. And that is a pandragine. And if God made us in his image or her image, or as we prefer, it, if it made human beings, or we prefer again, humane, if it made humane beings, in its own image, then they would have to be male and female. And that would be a pandragine. There's therefore an argument that the entire reason for existence is for us to gradually wake up to ourselves enough to return to the original state. And there are four paintings of this circulating around that the Vatican doesn't want you to see? That's the only ones that have survived the Vatican trying to destroy all the pictures. Yes, that's true. Have you seen them? I've seen one. Only one. Whereabouts? In a very old art magazine that we had. And when we were younger, it didn't dawn on me the significance, but then we looked at it again, and there uh, is it, God, behind a tree of all things, a bush, spying on Adam and Eve, who both had breasts, vaginas, and penises all at once. And we thought, why is God spying on them? Is he jealous? What is going on? We're still trying to find out. What's going on, Aardvark? What's going on? I was curious, Genesis. What is the closest you got to Martin Denny? Did you get his autograph? Yes. Well, that was Boyd Rice. Boyd Rice went to Hawaii and met Martin Denny and told Martin Denny that we had every single vinyl album he'd ever made in my collection. And Martin Denny signed one. Genesis love Martin Denny. It's a very special thing to have. Anything you'd like to say to the people out there, Edley, about Psychic TV? Listen to us. Come see us. Listen to the new records. Listen to Snakes and Alienist. Because a lot of them probably think we play industrial music, which we've never done. 
And it's time for them to wake up and realize that we play a really amazing, a truly unique form of contemporary, psychedelic, hard-edged, often ironic, psychedelic music. And that it's fun, it's a celebration. As we like to say, pleasure is a weapon. In a world of misery and hypocrisy and a regression into negative ways of seeing the world, that makes pleasure and celebration and people loving each other a potent weapon to use to diffuse that. Why should people care about psychic TV? Why should people care? Um, why should they care about psychic TV? Well, hopefully they care about what we say. And that's more important, always. And what we stand for, what we represent. And that's what's been happening. We're selling out nearly everywhere we play now. And that's all over the world. I mean, to think that there are enough people in every country we get invited to, to fill venues, people who come and they know about us and they've read the Psychic Bible and they've read things that we've said and they've even probably watched your strange thing because um, we don't know what to call it. They, 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 they believe that we're the few, one of the few lots of people who are telling them an authentic truth, that we don't sugarcoat things. We tell them what we really feel is happening at any given moment. And that's rare. Most people are trying to succeed. We're not. We're trying to talk to everyone and make their lives a little better and the idea of change a little easier. Well, thanks very much, Psychic TV. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do loot do 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 Pit Viper. And that was an interview from October the 7th, 2016 with Genesis P. Orridge of Psychic TV and Throbbing Gristle. Rest in peace, Genesis. You're a true pioneer. Right now, I thought I'd play something by Throbbing Gristle from 1978. Again, this is dedicated to Genesis P. Orridge United by Throbbing Gristle on the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. Never ending up 
Stop it.